السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ The path has many components and depending on your proclivities certain components are easier for you and certain components are harder for you the path consists of formal rituals ritual prayer ritual recitations ritual fasting holiday celebrations um attendance uh, at formal community gatherings such as juma and then there's another part and that part has to do with understanding who you are and finding the truth out about yourself and cleansing yourself to become pure so that your attitudes take on a certain grace and a certain luster and a certain light now the formalistic portion of the path is there to help you find yourself but they both take certain kinds of discipline and certain kinds of attitudes and certain actions in order to do the formalistic things on the path you have to be able to control yourself so that you can stop what you're doing and pray certain times of the day you have to be disciplined in a way that allows you to do this on a regular basis in the islamic world children are taught to do this from the time they're very little hoping that it will become habitual for them and they'll be able to do it over and over and over according to the way it's prescribed people who enter the path later in life have to create these habits and sometimes for people it's difficult to create these habits it's sometimes easier for them to do the other portion of the path where 
with people who are used to doing the ritual, it's sometimes difficult for them to do the other portion of the path. And what is the other portion of the path? It's the part where you get to know who you are and where you ask the question, who am I? And you take the journey towards finding out who am I? And it is indicated by the Ketubs and the Prophets and the Wise Ones that you have a connection to Allah and that connection has been and is in you and is available to you to be you. In fact, it is you. But what has happened is, through your connection to the world and your connection to illusion and your participation in illusion, you've lost touch, we have lost touch, with that portion of ourselves. So, the question is, how do we regain our connection to that portion of ourselves, and what is it that's stopping us from regaining that portion of ourselves. A lot of this has to do with the mind. The mind, using modern technology, is our interface with illusion and our interface with the illusory world, our interface with the elemental world. Our intellect is our interface with getting things done in the world. The intellect figures out how to do chores, how to do jobs, how to provide for us. There is another section to us, which is connected to the mind, called desire. And it has to do with our physical senses. We see, we touch, we hear, we smell, we taste, and we want. We want the things we see, we hear, we feel, we touch, we taste. We desire things. And the mind then goes about attempting to fulfill our desires. And herein lies the crux of illusion. Because the mind is so busy fulfilling desires, and desires are so busy looking at the world and figuring out what else they want, we're unable to separate ourselves from illusion because we're too much involved. We want too much. We desire too much. We spend too much time 
trying to satisfy our desires. Now, the ritual prayer or the ritual recitations help with that. How do they help? They help by telling you that the world is not that important and you need to stop five times a day in order to do what is important, in order to pray, in order to make a connection with God, in order to stop what you're doing in illusion to take a time out for reality, for Hak. Unfortunately, if the mind is powerful, and if the desires are powerful, this break from illusion is not truly a break from illusion. It's just a change of scenery. So instead of being involved in desire in your home, you become involved in desire where you pray, wherever it is. You're still involved in desire, but because of the rules that are put upon you, you acknowledge them, and you do the ritual, but you don't leave your mind while you're doing the ritual. You're still involved in the ritual. So, as you raise your hands to pray... You're still thinking about the car you want. Or you're still thinking about the house you want. Or you're still thinking about the woman you want. Or you're still thinking about the man you want. Or you're thinking about something else. You're unable to focus on God because your mind is consumed with your desires. And desires take many different shapes and forms. They're not just the things I mentioned. There can be the desire for knowledge. Uh, for instance, um, if somebody's a doctor, he can be thinking about the latest procedures that uh, he'll use on his next patient. A worthy thought, but not something that should be all-consuming. Not something that should take up every moment or every tie, every moment of your being. So, in order to be able to get to knowing who we are and getting to that part of us that is connected to Hak as opposed to connected to illusion, we have to somehow bypass our connection to mind and desire, which means we have to give up our wanting 
things. More explicitly, we have to give up needing things. Now, interestingly enough, your mind doesn't stop. If you watch it, you will see that it is in constant motion and it is constantly thinking. And it's almost like your roommate. There's you, and then there's your mind, and you have no, you have very little control over it. You can tell it, stop, I want to do this. It's not going to listen. So your options are not trying to make your mind stop, but the real you has to stop listening. You can do that. You can detach yourself in a way that your mind no longer controls you. But to do that, you have to give up your desire. And you have to give up the things that you want desperately. So, your attitude as to wanting things has to change. And your response to either getting or not getting what you want has to change. So, you have to stop being sad because you don't get what you want. And you have to stop being joyous when things come out the way that you want them. You just need to be satisfied in a state of patience, in a state of gratitude, in a state of contentment. And when we are in that state of contentment, then we have what we want and we're not grasping for something else. Now, think about it. When you're not grasping for something else, your mind has less work to do because it now can't scheme on how it's going to get what it is that you want because you're refusing to send it the signals that I want this, I want that, go to work. So now, it will become different. Instead of grasping, it will now present things to you. Since you're not actively involved in grasping anymore, its job becomes to induce you to grasp. And how's that happen? Well, it happens through the whisperer who tells you you need this, you need that, you need this, you need that. You're not whole, W-H-O-L-E, without this. You're not whole without that. And you should be grasping. There's something wrong with you if you're not grasping. And then you have to stay in your state of contentment in your state of being satisfied. And as that happens, you release yourself from the attachment that the mind has on you 
and the places that it pulls you that are separate from who you truly are. As long as you have things you want and you have things you need and you have things that you grasp for and you're not satisfied, you can't find out who you truly are because who you truly are is separate from all of these things. So the depth of your involvement in illusion is the measuring stick of how how far you have to go to find out who you are. If you're desperately seeking fame, you are in a state of dissatisfaction that isn't going to be satisfied until you're famous. The problem is that if you become famous, you then have to maintain fame. To maintain fame, that takes a lot of work, especially when you're actively trying to do this. It's the same with wealth. You have to maintain wealth, or you have to get richer and richer and richer. It's not good enough to be the 10,000th richest man in the world. You have to be the most richest man in the world. It's not enough to own one business or two businesses. You have to own five or ten businesses. Uh, there's a story that Bawa told about a woodcutter who used to make two rupees a day cutting wood. And when he would come home, he would take his two rupees and he would buy all the fruit he could buy for two rupees from uh, the uh, local uh, fruit seller. And he would cut the fruit up and share it with all his friends. And he did this every day. He would come home with whatever he made that day and he would spend his money on fruit and food and share it with his friends. And he lived in a valley. And up on a hill, there was a very rich man who used to watch what was going on and was jealous of this man's freedom, of this man's ability to have nothing and be happy, of this man's ability to spend his money because he knew the man higher up, the rich man, that the only way you keep money is not to spend it. So he had made a lifetime of not spending money. And then one day he tried to go down and buy some fruit. And uh, fruits were four for a rupee. And he offered one rupee for eight and the fruit seller wouldn't give it to him. He said, I can't make any money giving you eight for one rupee. And they argued and argued and argued. And finally, the, the rich man walked away because he, he wouldn't spend that much. And he was back up where he lived. And he's looking down. And this old man passes his home. 
And uh, the old man recognizes that there was something different about uh, the old man that was going by his house. There was something special about him. And he invited him over. And he said, old man, you've been around a long time. Tell me, what's different between him and me? He has almost nothing, but he's free. I'm wealthy, and I'm trapped by my money. What's going on here? Why is it this way? And the old man said, you have to do what I tell you, and you'll find out what it is. And he said, take a bag and put 99 rupees in it. And while the woodcutter is out working, take the bag down to his hut and throw it in. And watch what happens. So, against his mind and against his desire, he listened to the old man and did it. And then he sat and waited for the woodcutter to come home. And he was close enough that he could see what was going on and sort of hear what was going on. And the woodcutter came home and saw the bag and opened it up and he began to count and he counted the rupees and he got to 99 and the bag was he was done he said oh god you gave me 99 rupees why didn't you give me a hundred and that night he took one of the rupees that he had earned and put it in the bag so that he had a hundred and only spent one rupee on food. The next day he came home and he counted his rupees again and he got to a hundred and he said to he said, what if I had two hundred rupees? Who would I be then? And he started saving his rupees instead of spending them. And he became withered because he ate less. He didn't have any interaction with his friends because he hid from them because he thought they'd expect him to spend money on him. And he became a miserable, withered, old man. took a little while, but the man sitting on the hill watching him saw this happening. The old man who told him about this came by to look at him again. He said, well, what did you see? And he said, I saw that as he had, <coughs> he wanted more. And having more didn't make him happier. It made him sadder. He couldn't share. And it twisted him. He said, that's what happened to you. Now, would you like to change that? And he said, what do I need to do? And he said, leave what you have, put on a cloak, get a walking stick, leave it behind and come with me. And if you do that, you'll find the kind of happiness that you're looking for. What's the point? Freedom 
doesn't come from having things. It comes from not being attached to things. It comes not from hoarding, but from sharing. It comes from giving, not from taking. So, desire needs to be changed. Desire, instead of being focused on things in the world that are elemental, has to be focused on things that aren't elemental. And what are those things? Well, the first and foremost is Allah. So, the desire that you've worked all these years, that you've made powerful, focused on the world, has to be refocused on Allah. Your desire has to be on mercy. Your desire has to be on compassion. Your desire has to be on helping and aiding others. And your joy has to come from helping and aiding others. So, the prayer no longer becomes a ritual. It becomes a time to talk to your Lord. It becomes a respite from illusion and from the world. It becomes a joy because all of the things that interfered with your ability to communicate with your Lord no longer exist in you because you are no longer overwhelmed by desire and overwhelmed by a mind that only thinks about your desires and tries to fulfill them. You are given relief. You are given peace. And you have to understand that all your difficulty comes from unfulfilled desires that you continuously strive for, that you refuse to let go of, that have become so intertwined in your being that you don't believe that you can exist without these things. And the truth is that to become truly free, we have to give up everything. The second part of that truth is that if we don't give it all up, it will be taken from us anyway. The truth of this existence is that either we give it up now or we give it up later. And that's where the saying to die before death is the Sufi way of life. We become dead to these desires in our lifetime. And in becoming dead to these desires in our lifetime, we are able 
to reach the state of hak, the state of reality within our life, and we're able to become true human beings, the kinds of people that Allah created us to be. He didn't create us to come into this world to manipulate illusion. He didn't create us to come into this world to manipulate the elements. He didn't come, he didn't create us to come into this world to hoard his creation. He can't, he, he created us to come into this world to know him and to know his glory and to be elevated towards his glory. And he created all of these things around us to give us our needs. He supplied us with air. He supplied us with water. He supplied us with food. He supplied us with shelter. And we should be satisfied. He supplied us with the ability to be grateful and the ability to be satisfied. And we have to find these non-elemental things. We have to be able to find satisfaction in this life. We have to be able to find gratification in this life. We have to find ourselves in this life. Who are we truly? In Tamil, who am I means nanyar. In English, it's who am I? And in order to find out who you are, we have to release all of the associations that we have with everything else. Because as long as we associate with other things, we hide the truth about ourselves. And what are the reasons we hide the truth about who we truly are? Arrogance, the need to be better than others, the need to be able to lord over others, the need to consider ourselves more important. So, we can't associate with things that do that. We can't associate ourselves with race. We can't associate ourselves with religions. We can't associate ourselves with nationalities. We cannot associate ourselves with all of the things that separate us from other people. Every separation that we have with other people creates a separation between ourselves and God. Can somebody say that God created the people in North America but didn't create the people in Asia? Can somebody say that God created the people in Europe but didn't create the people in Africa? I mean, the absurdity of even thinking that is self-evident, yet there are those who classify 
the different people around the world as either more or less, as either more important or less important, as either smarter or less intelligent. How come? Where did that idea come from? How do people come up with that idea? Well, we can't worry so much about other people. But we do have to worry about ourselves. And we do have to worry about our own associations. And we do have to worry about our own thought process and how our thought process works. And if we have a thought process that is involved in praise and blame and constant criticism of everything that's around us, we are going to be caught in that circle of praise and blame and criticism. But if we can remove ourselves from praise and blame and criticism, then praise and blame and criticism can't attach themselves to ourselves. And if they can't attach themselves to ourselves, we become free to walk through the world and the world is unable to manipulate us by praising us or blaming us. We walk with Allah. We walk in purity. And as we release our desires, we become more content. As we release our desires, we become more stable as a being. You don't become satisfied by fulfilling your desires. You become satisfied by giving up your desires. And that's exactly the opposite of what illusion tells us. And it's an entirely different way of approaching our happiness or our truth, to be more precise. And once we approach our truth, we become closer to who we are because we're no longer clouded by veils. Or as Bowers says, we create the veils that we hide behind so that we can judge others. We create the veils that we hide behind so we can criticize others. We create the veils that we hide behind so that we can blame others. And those veils are arrogance and jealousy and pride and I am better than you. Each of these is a veil that allows us to enter into areas where we're not allowed. They are our rationalization. They are our excuse for being the way we are. And we can continue to be that way for years and years and years until we see that there is no hope in that. There is no end to that. There is no result to that other than we continue to struggle to blame others 
and to try and bring ourselves up. Let it go and become satisfied. Surrender and become peaceful. Stop being needy and become content. I need, I want, I have to have. Or, Allah has supplied me with everything that I could possibly want. Allah in his graciousness has allowed me to be without need. Allah in his mercy has allowed me to be content. He's allowed me to be grateful for what I have. Replace need with gratitude. Replace desire with gratitude. May we understand this and may we be able to do it. Because if we can, then our prayer will become godly. Because it no longer is focused on delusion and illusion. It's no longer focused on our needs. We no longer go to pray and our prayers are something like, God, you know what I want? You know what I need? You know what I I really need? And can you get this for me? Our prayers become God. Can I become like you? Can I be merciful like you? Can I understand the truth of compassion and the truth of reality? There's a big difference. We have to understand that difference. And we have to go on that path. That path towards knowing who we are and towards becoming grateful for what we've been given and for beginning to understand the reality of who we are. May Allah make it easy for us. Amen.